You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We are continuing in our series through Genesis. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there is a uh, Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own one, that is our church's gift to you. Those Bibles are meant to be given away. And so we'd like to have you uh, take that with you. Over this past couple of weeks, we've entered into a sermon series through the book of Genesis. We've talked about how important Genesis is, that without the book of Genesis, that the rest of the Bible would not make sense. We've talked about why Genesis is important because it tells us about who God is, and even today we're going to see more about who we are. So that's why we're studying Genesis. So far we've seen, we saw in Genesis 1, God created the entire uh, planet, the universe. He created mankind and that everything that God created was good. It was perfect. We talked more about that last week, that God's entire world that he had created was perfect and was good. And last week we even acknowledged together as a faith family that God's world today is not perfect. It is broken. If you want to um, make your eyes and ears bleed, turn on uh, network cable news, and you will see that in our world today, our world is broken. You look around and you see disease. You see wars breaking out. You see natural disasters. Jim even mentioned the tropical storm in his prayer this morning. We see what's going on in our world today, and we see the chaos both in our country but also around the world. We watch the news, you see school shootings, you see drug busts, and you, it's easy for us as we look at our world today and the amount of media that we consume, it is easy for us to begin to ask ourselves, what in the world is going on? And as People that I'm assuming believe in God because you're here this morning, it's easy for us to begin to doubt God and ask ourselves, is God really good? Because we have seen the last two weeks when God created the world, this was not his original design, what we're experiencing today. We saw that Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship with God. We saw that that the the creation was perfect, there was no death, there was no disease, there was no suffering, it was perfect. They were naked there in the garden because there was no shame. But we know the reality that we are currently living in, that that is not the case. So this morning we're going to see why. And we talked about even last week at the end of Genesis 2 that though the world is not perfect, that Jesus is coming again to make it perfect, to usher into his kingdom. But this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to see why the world is in the state it is and why sin is in the world. So look at Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. 
that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of eat the tree from the trees of eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, we need to establish a few things. Who is the serpent and why is he on the scene? Well, as we know from what scripture says, God had created an angel named Lucifer. Lucifer was the most brilliant of God's created angels. Lucifer was essentially a worship leader there in heaven, leading the angels in heaven. But Lucifer decided to become, he wanted to be God. And so there was a war that breaks out. And God throws Lucifer and his followers out of heaven. And because of that, long story short, Satan, Lucifer's lifelong goal is to rob God of his glory. And so we see this glorious world that God's created. It's perfect. Adam and Eve there in the garden have a perfect, unfiltered, perfect relationship with God. But because of sin, that then changes. And so Satan becomes up with a plan to destroy this perfect creation. We talked about that everything that God creates is good. And so Satan is trying to rob God of his glory, rob God of his goodness, so he hatches a plan to do this. Let's see what happens. He tells Eve... He said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So what is Satan doing here to Eve? She's, he, this is a direct attack on God's goodness. Satan is saying, Eve, is God holding out on you? Does God have your best interest in mind? kind of interesting here that Satan is not making a big show about this. He's just asking a question to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Let's keep going. Verse 4. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So Satan gets Eve to doubt God's goodness, asking her, is God holding out to you? Does God really know what he's doing? Does God have your best interests in mind? And, say, and, and, and Eve listens to this question, this lie from Satan, and she takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives it to Adam, they've disobeyed God. Now there's something we need to understand here. Sin at its core starts with doubting God's goodness is Satan can get us to begin to doubt God's goodness, then we will sin. 
Whenever we sin, it is a direct attack on God's goodness because we're trying to find something else that will make us happy other than God. And what is that? Idolatry. We're all guilty of idolatry at our core because what Satan does is he begins to whisper subtle little lies into our ears and ask us, is God really good? Is God holding out on you? Does God have your best interest in mind? So an example maybe, maybe you're going through financial struggles right now and it would be easy for you to, to have this, to develop this attitude of bitterness towards God is that God's really not taking care of me. God's really not looking out for me. Well, what that is, that is a lie from Satan getting us to doubt God's goodness. So whatever, it is, whatever sin that we may struggle with, whatever sin that we are tempted with, at its core, we are trying to satisfy ourselves something other than with God, and then something, and Satan is trying to whisper something into our ears to doubt God's goodness and doubting God's perfect plan. And so then look again at verse 7. It says, after they eat of this fruit, they've doubted God's goodness. They've really wondered if God was holding out to them. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. So something eventually changed, right? Because at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says that this is what... Uh, verse 25 of Genesis 2, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. They felt no shame. They had no knowledge of their nakedness. Now here in verse 7 of chapter 3, their eyes are open. They knew they, knew they were naked, and so they started putting fig leaves together to cover themselves. So this perfect world, this world of no shame, is now gone. It's changed. Adam and Eve have lost their innocence, and now they know they are naked. Let's keep reading verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? So we see here in Genesis 3 that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Now you say, Adam, what did that look like? I don't know. I'd love to know. That's one of those questions I may have if we have a Q&A in heaven. Yeah. Ooh, that scared me. Uh, when they had a Q&A, sorry. <laughs> Whoever had, thanks, yeah, bless you. Whenever we get to heaven, I don't know if there'll be a Q&A time for us. I don't know. I hope so, because this is going to be one of those questions I have. What did that look like, God, when you walked in the garden with Adam and Eve? I, ha- I want to have some questions for Adam and Eve, too, but I'll get to those questions later. Um, but we, all we know is that God and Adam and Eve's relationship together was unfiltered, unhindered. It was pure. There was closeness there. But then Adam and Eve disobey, they eat of the fruit, and now something has changed. They're not just aware of their nakedness, but God calls out to Adam and Eve, where are you? They're hiding from God. Now, we know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is omnipresent. He's present all the time. So we know with God, 
being God, he knew where they were. But this question that God asks and calls out, where are you, is not a question of proximity, is not a question of location. This is a question of relationship. Have you ever been there before with someone? Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and maybe it's not going well and the other the person may check out or maybe you're checking out and the person asks, "Where are you? Where are you at? What's going on in your head?" That's not a question of location or proximity. That is a question of relationship. Something is wrong. Where are you? This is not right. Now, of course, again, with God being all-knowing, God knows what happened there. God knows that they've disobeyed. But it's interesting here that God does not make an accusation here, does he? He asks a question. And we see that, honestly, even in our own lives, that accusations harden the soul, but questions stir the conscience. And God asks a question of Adam, and he says, where are you? Our relationship is not the same. There's something between us. Something's off. Something's not right. You tell me what happened. That's what God's saying. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And he, Adam, said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So God asked Adam, where are you? What's going on in our relationship? It's not the same. Something's awkward. Something's not right. Something's off. And Adam said, I heard you. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Again, the innocence is gone. The shame is gone. Isn't it interesting that little kids run around naked? <laughs> Does anyone else have a kid like that that like, doesn't like to wear clothes? Why? Because they don't know any better. It's their birthday suit, right? There is no shame. They run, they're innocent. They don't know any difference. So they take off their clothes and they run around the house and they run around the yard embarrassing you in front of the neighbors because there's naked. There's no, there's no shame there because there's innocence. But that's gone. And Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That fear, there's fear there in the nakedness. There's shame now in the nakedness. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? But isn't it interesting, verse 11, God doesn't even give Adam a chance to respond, does he? Because God knows why he knows he's naked. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's almost like that mother telling a kid, I'm not hungry for dinner. Did you get into the cookies? You know, moms just have that sixth sense. God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you? And what was Adam's response? He throws his wife under the bus. 
So not only is he in trouble with God, he's in trouble with his wife. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on marriage. I, I'm not a marriage counselor, but I know that is not what a husband should do. That's not a good thing to do. And so he throws Eve under the bus, but God, Adam's not just throwing Eve under the bus, is he? He throws God under the bus. He says, verse 12, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So he says, the woman you gave to me, this God, this is your fault. You gave me her. You see how sin works? It starts with a question. Is God really good? Is God holding out on you? And then at the end result, it's shaking the fist at God. This is your fault, God. God, you've done this, so I sinned. So Adam is just a spiritual and psychological mess right now. And then God asks Eve, what is this that you've done? And Eve throws a serpent under the bus. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So you have this blame game going on and on, and then God cuts to the chase. Look down at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. Isn't that right? No one likes snakes unless you're crazy. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify, intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire, desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you are taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so now we see the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. God tells Eve, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Then he tells Adam, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to pull weeds. There's going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work to eat. You're going to have to provide easy for you. You're going to have to work from it. And then he gives them one final phrase, for you are dust, and from dust you will return. What's God saying? Because you have sinned, you could have lived forever. But because of your sin, your bodies will break down and you will die. Now that's bad news, isn't it? That's really bad news. Because we all understand the mortality of our lives. That one day we will break down and we will die. And a result of that 
is because of sin. That is the result of, of sin is death. We die because we sin. Our bodies break down because we sin. We will have suffering in our lives because of sin. There is disease because there is sin. There is conflict and war because there is sin. There is famine and, 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 and sorrow and grief because of sin. It's a reality that we all are living. Thanks to our great, 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 great grandparents, who I would like to have a talk with in heaven. But thankfully, in the midst of this tragic chapter of the Bible, or as the Jesus Storybook Bible calls it, as we just read, a nightmare. Thankfully, there is good news given in this nightmare. Look at verse 14 again. God's talking to Satan, talking to the serpent. He says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Tragedy, in verse 15, gives good news. He gives a promise. He makes a covenant. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this sounds like kind of like a cosmic war of good and evil, something out of a comic book. But what God is talking about, there is going to be an offspring that comes from Eve, and this offspring is going to strike Satan's head. Now, Satan's going to strike his heel, but he's going to strike his head. Now, let's talk about human anatomy for just a moment. If you get struck on the heel, it might hurt, it might be painful, it might be annoying, but it's probably not going to be lethal. But if you get struck in the head, that can be lethal. So what God is telling Satan, he is saying, Eve's offspring, there's going to one that's come, going to come, and he is going to strike your head. You're going to strike his heel. You're going to cause some temporary pain, but ultimately, he's going to strike your heel. Some translations say, he is going to crush your head. I like that. I don't like strike. I like crush. He's going to crush your head. You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy you and destroy everything you did. Now, it could be easy for us to think, okay, this is some son or daughter of Eve that's going to do this. No, no human being could do this. Only God could do something like this. And God, right here in the midst of this nightmarish situation, sin entering into the world, God says, I'm still going to rescue you. God could have said, I'm going to destroy you because of your sin. But God says, no, I'm going to rescue you. And there's going to one that's going to come. He's going to crush the head of Satan. He's going to make all this new. He's going to make this better. He's going to fix this situation. And God gives the first, the first messianic covenant. 
because only a Messiah could do something like this, and that was Jesus. Jesus was going to come, and He was going to undo death. He's going to undo suffering, and He was going to provide rescuing. He was going to provide salvation. I want to close with this. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. You say, Adam, this happened a really long time ago. What does this have to do with me? It's a good question. Look at verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, and it says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way death spread to all people because all sinned. You want a picture of current reality that you and I are living right now? There it is, Romans 5 verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Death came through sin, and this way death spreads to all people because all sinned. Let's keep reading, verse 13. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. That's the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. But sin is not charged to a person's account when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if by one man's sin trespassed, the many died. How much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in, in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, that's Adam, since by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overthrow, overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So here Paul, in understanding the fall of mankind and the curse of sin, he compares and contrasts Adam and Jesus. Because of the sin of Adam, sin is now inherent to all of mankind. It is in our DNA. We are born this way. We cannot help but sin. We can't help it. It is in our DNA. You go into any church nursery or any preschool or anywhere there's child care provided, you will see sin on full display. No one has to teach us to sin. We're really good at it. It's in our nature. And so sin is passed down through us by generation after generation after generation after generation. We sin and we die. We're going to see that in Genesis. We sin and we die. We sin and we die. People sin and they die. But Jesus arrives on the scene and he provides grace. And just as sin is passed down... Through our DNA, through Adam, grace is passed down through Jesus Christ, and salvation is provided. And we are made alive through Him. So my question for you this morning is, not have you sinned? 
I don't need to ask that question. Not have we sinned, but have we received grace through Jesus Christ? Because God is holy and we are sinful, Jesus Christ has come to provide salvation, to rescue us from our sin. Yes, we will still physically die, but we will receive spiritual life instead of spiritual death through Jesus Christ. And have we believed Him? Not do we believe in Him, but have we believed to the point where we are made a new creation Our lives have been changed, we have been converted, and we recognize Jesus as our Lord, our King, and our Savior. Pray with me. God, this morning we understand and we admit our sinfulness. God, we are a sinful people. We are rebellious towards you. God, we shake our fist at you. Oh, but God, we thank you for not destroying us. Though you would have every right to destroy us, you have not destroyed us. You have provided us rescue in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you all the way back that with our great, 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 great grandparents with Adam and Eve, even in the middle of that hopeless situation because of their sin, you still provided them hope and knowing that a Messiah was going to come and rescue them. And Jesus, we say thank you for being our rescuer, for being our Messiah. We recognize you as God. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never fully recognized their sinfulness and their need for you, I pray today you would show them their need of salvation, that they will die both physically and spiritually without you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to their need of salvation. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers and followers of you. God, I pray that you would protect us from Satan, that you would help us to not listen to his lies and his his desire to rob you of glory and to cause us to doubt you, but I pray that you would build up our trust in you so we can be faithful and obedient to you. God, help us to find our satisfaction in only you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We are located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.